0: All right, yes, hello everybody, welcome. Thank you for coming to Let's Talk About Sex, um, a meeting that Marsha, my friend in service started so that we can have a place to talk and explore each other's minds about sex and sobriety. Um, I'm so excited. I do wanna mention, uh, for a disclaimer, this meeting is about sex and I know that um, a a lot of us as alcoholics and addicts experience a lot of trauma, so if you need support, reach out for support, we will open a breakout room for, you know, connection and for whatever you need. Um, If you feel like heightened anxiety or you're feeling triggered, we can definitely um, offer that and make sure you call your people too. They're going to be worried about you. Um, Then I would also ask that you raise your hand after our speakers share, and then I will call on you in the order that you raise your hand. And I am happy to uh pass it over to mike he will be our first speaker of the of the day and he has an amazing mind so please give a warm welcome you guys
1: <laughs> yay <clears throat> i guess that's me right yeah so i'm uh mike g from atlanta santa from atlanta and uh i'm uh Very pleased to be here. Um, Oh, I think I'm going to turn my original sound for musicians on. Very good. My audio is okay, I assume. Very nice. All right. Well, uh, so let's talk about sex, baby. (laughs) Um, Usually, uh, you know, I kind of wake up fairly late on weekends. And um, usually I've already rubbed one out before a meeting, but I saved it for you. So here we go. Anyway, um, <clears throat> I know that uh, this is funny because I'm a little nervous in the sense that I'm like, well, you know, I've never talked about like just sex, you know, in an AA meeting. And, and I've been going to uh, SLAA, you know, fairly recently and still trying to figure out to what degree I belong there and exploring things like, you know, anorexia and stuff like that. Um, but, uh, you know, I'll just share, I'll just share my stuff because I know that I've had different ideas about sex in and out of recovery. And, um, I don't know if it'll help somebody, but it'll sure help me. Um, so, and that's why I do these things also because, you know, my friend Marsha asked, so what the fuck? Um, so usually, uh, these sort of events, we like to start off with a joke. Do we not? Yes. Yes, we do. Okay. So, um, one of my favorite sex jokes is this, I have a 12 inch Johnson, but I seldom use it as a rule. Okay, no, all right. Yeah, see, that's, that's a 12 inch Johnson. Anyway, thought that would, uh, of course I can't hear the laughter, naturally everyone's muted, but, um, I'm assuming that, um, uh, did the job and now... I'm, I'm talking. Okay, so <clears throat> what is normal? What is an attitude or an, an action about sex or love or intimacy that is normal um, or maybe common? I don't like the word normal. Um, there's a part of me as most of you know, that I wouldn't want to be a member of any club that would have me as a member. I think Groucho Marx said that. I definitely resonate with that. So I'm a bit of bit of an iconoclast, just a little bit, not a whole lot. Um, and I'm 60 years old now. So <clears throat> there's an element of not giving a shit um, and uh, paying my fucking dues. So, you know, there you go. But um, I have had different ideas about about this. And, you know, whether... Uh, there's you know uh, the, the physical aspect of exchange of fluids um, with sex, or you know there's there's f- uh, folks that have said, and I and I really like the idea that really ninety percent of of sex is up here, and ten percent of it is is uh, performing some actions that pretty much the whole animal kingdom does in some form or fashion. Well, <clears throat> I don't know about sex, but I do know that. The first, this is funny, you know, usually we talk about our first drinking thing, whatever. So the first time I remember uh, anything that what we would call sexual or something like that. And let me just say, I hadn't had any any real sexual trauma, <clears throat> I think, up until <clears throat> really I was in my 20s, I guess I could say. Maybe, you know, but it's not the kind that a lot of folks have. So, um but anyway, I remember being in, in elementary school, and um, the chair that I was sort of leaning on was at a certain height, and I just remember the pleasant sensation of of rubbing against the chair. And um didn't know whether it was good or bad or right or wrong, but um, it's not like I, you know, uh, was like a monkey in the zoo, and I'm just, you know, no, I'm it was just, I think I knew that I should be discreet about it, you know, I think I knew that much. Um, but I don't know how I knew that. Um, <clears throat> and then love, you know, innocent love. I remember there was a, I used to have these school crushes, you know, and, and, um, so there was a couple of girls. One time I, uh, I went on, I guess you could call it a play date or whatever, where I think I went, uh, this girl lived right near the school. And so I went to her house after, and we hung out, <clears throat> you know, and she showed me her, you know, big tree that she had her initials on and stuff like that. And, and, and it was fun. And, and, you know, neither of us knew what to do aside from that. We liked each other and we were, you know, in like second or third grade or, or something like that, you know, and, and, uh, and then, you know, I walked home, you okay, know, we all lived close enough to the school where I would walk home and I didn't know anything about it or what to make of it. And I never followed it up or anything like that because we were all in the same class, but it was just nice having a, a friend, you know, that was a, a, a the opposite sex. And, um, I didn't know what to make of it. And, uh, but it, but it felt nice and it felt innocent. You know, maybe part of me is looking back on that and, and thinking that, but, uh, so I had some, you know, school crushes, but, um, initially, you know, there were people in school and I saw that people were like going out and, you know, I always wondered what that was all about, you know, and, and, uh, eventually, you know, so a couple of things concurrently was like, you know, I I was like, ooh, am I going to have the guts to ask someone out? That kind of a thing. And then concurrently with that, <clears throat> I found my father's playboys and all those kind of things. And so um, that's a fascinating world. And, um, you know, you get all the things of like, oh, yeah, we're in the treehouse with all the, the guys and blah, 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 et cetera, et cetera. And maybe you do a circle jerk. Maybe you don't, whatever. But I had, you know, I had this one friend and, and uh, he had a thing where he wanted to... He thought it would be an interesting idea for us to cuddle each other's uh, private parts, and um, I don't know. He and he was a good friend, a real good friend. And, and it was, it was, you know, kids do that kind of thing, and it was kind of innocent. I, I mean, it was very innocent. I didn't, <clears throat> it would not wasn't my idea, <clears throat> but I was curious, and so you know, we thought it was funny, and of course, you know, I didn't have a twelve-inch Johnson then. But we measured each other's dicks, and you know that's the kind of thing that kids do. And and I don't know if that has anything to do with, with with uh, sex exactly, but it's about curiosity and and that kind of thing. And um, uh, so that was the sort of deal that that I had, pretty much growing up. And um, then, but I was scared. See, because here's the thing, I was afraid of rejection, and I w- I had low self-esteem, and that was mainly because of the house that I grew up in. My dad was a rageaholic, and so you know a lot of the stuff was directed at me if I didn't do what he thought I should be doing. And it mainly had to do with the fact that I was a quiet dude. And um, and so he thought I should be out there with the guys and playing football and all that kind of thing. And I was, you know, in my room reading comic books or whatever and, and uh, you know, it just wasn't his vision, you know. But um, so I had a bit of a low self-esteem type of situation. and um, And so I was afraid of rejection Afraid of what it would look like, you know, everything was external. All the authorities were external for me back then. And uh also then I got to be a certain age where I'm like, everyone's doing it but me. I'm the only virgin left in the in the high school, et cetera, et cetera. You know, and I just had this sneaking suspicion because all the guys were talking about it and did da, 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 da. <clears throat> anyway, then there uh, I, I had a couple of experiences in high school where actually these, gir- this, these girls called me up. I mean, it doesn't get any better than this. These girls called me up and, and wanted me to come over and then, you know, propositioned me, you know, and like they were from my high school. And I'm like, huh, this is a surprise, not unpleasant. Okay, fair enough. And, um, uh, you know, and I wasn't really attracted to either of them that much, but also I had never had a blow job. So I figured, you know, tick that box. Okay. And, <clears throat> you know, it was all kind of innocent. And I, again, I, I didn't know what to make of all this. And I wouldn't, you know, I'm looking back and, and I have no idea what's childhood teenage innocence and what's the result of early trauma when folks are doing some shit and all that kind of thing. Not a clue, not a clue. And even, even in my own life, you know, and I think that that's something that's for each of us to explore, you know, because one thing I do know is that there's a lot of interpretations that, that you can make of, of pretty much anything. And, um, so, um, I could look at, I can look at all these things in, in a, in a few different ways. So I didn't know whether, you know, I, I guess, what, what were my ideas about sex? You know, watch TV or that kind of the thing. You see the Brady Bunch and you see other things and some soft porn at night on, on, uh, Skinamax and stuff like that. And, I didn't know what was going on. I just thought everyone was doing it with me. I didn't know whether you had to be connected to the individual or, or what, but I do know that <clears throat> um, <clears throat> once I was not a virgin anymore, then it became like a commodity. And then I was sort of in a relationship and it was sort of like more of that, more of that. If that can't dry up, that can't dry up. And so I, I, I sometimes stayed in relationships because I didn't want that to dry up. So what I've eventually happened is that, you know, with With rare exception, I never ended any of my relationships. They were ended f- by the other individual for whatever reason, my drinking or this sad or the other so with trauma there was a there was a time where I was hanging out with a friend, and I had this sort of girlfriend but i was I was in this free love kind of a thing you know um I was like twenty, still a virgin free love kind of thing and and like um. I had a girlfriend, but she really wasn't my girlfriend. We just sort of went out. and um, But I was still a virgin because I was afraid of what they would say or I, w- I didn't do it right or that kind of a thing. And um, I had some opportunities. Um, and then I thought, you know, <clears throat> me and this friend had a a relationship where our our dads used to sort of pit us against each other. It was kind of weird. And, um, like, because we were about the same age and, you know, et cetera. And, and like, so, but I never really liked him a whole lot never really trusted him and um because he cheated at chess one time when i went to the bathroom and i saw he moved you know and he's like oh, oh, oh. and i'm like in my head i'm like mm, watch this guy anyway so i thought but at the same time and, and one time i went to a bar mitzvah and he said you know if you don't fuck her i will you know and i'm like huh well, that's interesting this is just a friend of mine and i actually haven't planned on fuck her maybe we would make out or something like that i don't know maybe not but she's just a friend really that was what was going on and but that was where he was at, right? And and uh, <clears throat> anyway, so I invited this one sort of girlfriend or whatever. Uh, and, and basically, I hadn't fucked her yet after knowing her for a year. And he fucked her on the first night. And his brother uh, also. I mean, it was sort of we were all involved in this kind of thing. There was a lot of drinking going on. And so that was such, to me, that was a very traumatic event because there was the rivalry. And then, and then I never knew sort of who to blame for years and years. I'm like, well, my cousin I can't trust. This is my cousin. I said friend, but I meant cousin. And I'm like, you know, or is the girl a slut? What's going on? I had no idea. And now I look at it from a recovery perspective, and it's like, okay, first of all, when folks are drinking, I mean, all, all cards are off the table. You're on the, you know, whatever. Uh, off the, what do you call that? You know what I'm saying? all bets are off, et cetera. So, but... You know, did they have some kind of trauma? You know, that's a way that I have to look at it now in the sense of that <clears throat> we were all kids doing, we were all agents. We all knew what we were doing, et cetera, et cetera. To a degree, I don't know. I'm, all I know is for me, that I I have woken up at night and, and just think of that. And it's just like, oh, fuck. And my night is ruined. And that's, you know, decades into sobriety. That is some weird shit, okay? And another thing too is that with that cousin one time we we fiddled about in a way and he sort of convinced me but at the same time you know i mean if i would have said no it would have been no issue but i was kind of curious we were in our 20s it was a kind of thing where i mean listening to a lot of bowie and lou reed and there was just a lot of sort of androgyny going on at the time and you know you're experimenting with this and the other and i wanted to see what it might feel like to have a dick up my ass so there's that and i'm like "Hmm, okay not for me but tick that box all right So, you know, that was, it was what it was. And, but I could look back on it and say, huh, you know, with my earlier friend and with that, that idea didn't sort of come to me. I was convinced. I mean, it didn't take much convincing, but at the same time, you know, you know, I could look at that as, as, you know, some, some, in in, in a certain sort of way. But, but again, I, I choose to look at it as sort of, well, he wasn't that innocent, but you know. I was you know, and i and I was looking at it, it like, yeah, you know, this is something that i I wanted to you know experience because I was in a in a mood for experience everything, all the different kinds of drugs and all that kind of stuff that's just what was going on, and um anyway, so moving forward from that um I had a couple of girlfriends before sobriety, and you know. I, it ended up being that my first time was with a friend of mine this this girl who um is now a lesbian that doesn't matter i don't know why I said that, but it I used to make this joke that i that I turned all my girlfriends into lesbians, which I don't have the power to do honestly but um anyway this she was so cool and' it's awesome, and we don't talk now but it's not because we you know it 's just so we drifted apart, but I still think warmly of her and that was my first time and it wasn't her first time at all. And she had some trauma. Um, But, uh, you know, at least I can say that, you know, my first time was wonderful and enjoyable with someone who, who I loved in whatever sort of way, shape or form that is at the time. Um, And, but again, commodity, right. And within a few months, she was like, yeah, you know, I I love you as a friend. And, you know, and, and, um, you know, and I'm like, yeah, okay, but it was heartbreaking. And it was, you know, because that, that, that revenue stream, if you will, had dried up. And, you know, but so I had a couple other girlfriends and that kind of thing. And they tended to be younger than me by several years, you know, but I was a nice guy, you know, I never forced myself on anyone or any of that kind of stuff. It was just sort of like, you know, all kind of sort of free love and hippie type stuff going on. And um, <clears throat> so there were some one night stands and bars and that kind of a thing. But at the end of the day, I got sober. And then all of a sudden, you know, I'm reading in the big book about, you know, what's our ideal sex life and all this kind of thing. I'm like, fuck, huh, that's interesting. And I kind of went with the societal norm of like, oh, you have two people and they, they fall in love with each other and they, and they um, relate intimately and they express themselves, they express their love through sex oftentimes and that kind of a thing. And, and um, I met my wife-to-be, Julie, great gal I wasn't attracted to her at first and so we were friends because I was like a year or two sober and we were like we both wanted to practice being friends with the member of the opposite sex and where there wouldn't be sex involved like that wasn't something that was a thing and and that was great and guess what we had a lot of great conversations within a few months we started to feel that warm feeling we fell in love and or some sort of thing like that and so then I kissed her and uh, playing Blackbird, and it was just a very nice experience. And uh, I remember when she told me that she thinks she loves me, or whatever. And I was feeling the same thing. I ate a whole fucking can of olives. I didn't know what to do. It was just crazy. It was wonderful, and and innocent. And that's the way it should be in sobriety. We were friends, and then we were lovers, <clears throat> and then we got married, and you know, we were married for 28 years, and we had a couple kids. Um, and, uh, and we, so we're divorced now. And it's been about four years. And <clears throat> what happened was, when we got married, I, we both had this idea of marriage, that I think was the same. And then, but what I realized about myself, Is that I'm wired differently from a lot of people and maintenance of things is not my forte so for me it was kind of like I signed the paper I said I do we're married you know so like this idea that I have to continuously prove my love to her or you know buy her flowers all the time and that kind of thing I'm like I don't get it I I mean I know you love me I mean, I, I just never, I never understood that, that, that other individuals might need that kind of a thing. Now, I i know, and, you know, look, I've, I've, I've read the the five love languages books and all that kind of thing, and I love that stuff. It's very cool. It's a model. It's great stuff. Because I always laugh, and I've said this in a meeting recently, is, you know, oh, there's only five love languages? What did they, oh, wait, no, they discovered a six love language in a cave in fucking Siberia or whatever. You know, I mean, it's all a bunch of bullshit, but it's a model. And it's good, and if I can use it to help my my ass out to be a better person, score okay but um but yeah, so I asked myself, what kind of love languages are you know, and I took the test even recently, and it's inconclusive, you know <laughs> so I'm like, I don't fucking know, you know um but but I know that that hers were like touch and time and stuff, and I think my dad's was gifts because he used to do things for us, and if we didn't appreciate it, you know all hell would break loose or whatever, you know, or he would bring it up literally for the rest of his life, et cetera. You know, um, the things that I forgot, you know, steel trap of, of, uh, these things. Anyway, that's going off on a tangent. So, you know, we're married and stuff. Now a weird thing happened and cause everything was really good for a few years. Um, I became a born again Christian about, I don't know, five, six, seven years into sobriety. I did that for like 10 or 15 years. I um, suspended my disbelief, and I've told this story before. You know, I'm an agnostic atheist Jew coming in, and then this God thing in AA or whatever, I'm like, okay, I'll go for it. You know, I would have eaten my own shit to get sober. I was that desperate. And I'm like, yeah, you know, this is palatable, you know, of your own understanding. That's cool. I can dig it. <laughs> and uh, But then, you know, because people had, you know, people who uh, sometimes I would uh, give them a hand job for, you know, 10 bucks so I could get a 12-pack. Um, but they would spout John 3.16 to me, picking up, you know, me hitchhiking and, and whatnot, this kind of thing. So I was familiar with that stuff. And I remember this one lady picked me up hitchhiking, very nice lady. She was a mom and um, uh, no sex or anything. But she she was so nice that she brought me, it was in like 7 in the morning because I was still up from the night before. And she brought me to get a 12 back and we had to talk about Jesus. And, um, you know, she brought me to meet her kids and we saw a thing on the rapture and, you know. I've, I've always been a skeptic and I, you know, was whatever. But anyway, at this point in time, I'm sort of like, it was explained to me in a way that a Jewish boy could understand about blood sacrifice and all this kind of thing. And I thought to myself, well, you know, either a third of the planet is fucking nuts or maybe they have something and, and I don't know about it. Let me go and basically do Pascal's wager and try this out, see how it works. And I felt like a wonderful thing and blah, 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 and et cetera, you know, excitement when you like like when you discover a new band and and that kind of thing that's what it was like okay anyway so i'm in and uh now there's a lot of ways that you can interpret that shit and one time a few, a, few year, a couple years in i was still young in this in this religion thing but there's this thing about the wife being submissive and so there was this one time where i wanted to have sex and julie did not and i thought i kind of forced her to and you know she uh, you know, it was a, it was traumatic for her. And, um, and I didn't realize that, but I thought, and I was looking at my Bible later. It was like, Oh yeah, Hosea was, was, um, you know, unfaithful to God and and all that kind of thing. I'm like reading all kinds of shit into this fucking shit anyway. And then I talked to the, to the pastor the next day about this, you know, and, and, you know, said, what about submitting? he said, no, no, <laughs> that was wrong. What you did. And, um, he was, a real, he was a really good guy. Um, but anyway, so that's that's a regret. I have few regrets, but that's a regret that I have. And as far as making amends and all that kind of a thing over a period of time, yeah. And there was one time where she felt the need. Like, I think she wanted to sort of teach me a lesson. And she, because here's the thing. She's a highly sensitive person. So she, like, there's been times where I'm, like, talking like I am now, like, maybe passionately. But she's hearing me yelling at her, you know. And so... I didn't know that was a thing. Now I know that's a thing. And so I was like, okay, there's two conversations everyone's having, the one that I'm having and the one that you're hearing and everyone's hearing. So there's, you know, 40, 50 conversations, 42 in this room or 41 minus me. So she had this, she basically kind of forced herself on me. And I was sort of like, huh, this is different. This is interesting. You know, it wasn't unpleasant. Well, no, it was, I mean, I was just like, Where's all this coming from? But it was something I think that she needed to do. She needed to prove and see how it feels or whatever. And I've got to tell you, it did not feel great. It did not feel great, you know. Uh, Yeah. I know some people love that. Absolutely. Good. You know, there's no right and wrong, I don't think, with any of this kind of stuff. There's just sort of what's common and what's not. And it's up to each of us to decide these kind of things. So, kind of wrapping it up. Where am I going now? um, let's see. So all this time I'm, I'm one that likes to, um, masturbate and, you know, you look at it and you say, well, you know, there's porn addicts and stuff like that. And, and the people who get into porn and, and, you know, and there's all this, and it's like child trafficking, but with, you know, uh, you know, better looking people or whatever and all this kind of thing. But it's like, you know what? You know, and now there's cam girls and they have bad experiences. You know, I don't know about any of that stuff. I can't make any judgments about why people do these kind of things. I'm sure a lot of it's shitty. I'm sure a lot of people are making six figures and, and, you know, writing your own tickets. I have no idea. All I know is I like to rub one out. And there was a time where during during the marriage I was sort of like, especially when I was a Christian, is this sinful? I don't know. Um, Dr. Ruth says it's normal. I don't know. Um, I never really figured that shit out. And then I'm like, well, wait a second. Am I at least I'm stealing it away from, from my wife, right? I'm I'm, I'm neglecting her in, in this in this area and all that. And here's the way I look at it now. Because used to be external authority. It's like, what is it? What is it? What? Who? How should I look at da, da, da. I'll tell you how I look at it. Um, when I. Have a nice meal with my wife, and we're going out to dinner. We both, you know, this is fantastic. It's wonderful. But if I'm hungry and she's not hungry, or if she's hungry or I'm not hungry, um, go eat. You know, you don't, don't wait for me, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Right. So it's kind of like that for me. Um, so um, relationships, um, our marriage ended because I'm, um, well, I'm not worried like everybody else. And again, I, I um, her needs weren't being met. That was basically it. She still saw the marriage in a certain way, and I was definitely starting to see it in different ways. And, like, friendship was more... The friendship was always more important to me than the marriage. That's what I realized. Um, and uh, so intimacy, uh, sex, love, what are these things? I don't know. But but here's where I'm at now, is is I've separated them. Because for me, sex is... It could be for fornication procreation it could be for expressing love absolutely a lot of things can 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 be for that or it could be just about dopamine right and so in the same way that i might like to eat a candy bar or something like that you know maybe that kind of a thing right but how harmful is it right does it change the brain hmm i think so i think maybe so there's an interesting book i found called uh quit porn and get rich and I'm, I'm like, oh, because it means that I've already exhausted myself and then I'm fucking lazy, basically. And I'm like, eh, you know, I, I hear what they're saying there. Might be something to that. But, you know, could it be all things in moderation? I don't know. What's too much? You tell me. And then that's your fucking deal. It's not mine. So I'll tell me. Thank you very much. And love. I'm not even sure it exists. I do know I've felt this these things and we call it love. But what are you talking about when you say it? What am I talking about when I say it? I don't know, intimacy, here's the thing, and, and I'll wrap it up with this, uh, I'm not everybody's cup of tea, When here's how I want to have a relationship with you, is that um, uh, we fuck when either one of us wants to, okay, great, um, and then like what I do is I put you in my pocket, and then do my thing, and then like take you out when I, oh, yeah, right, that's right, oh yeah, hey, how are you, you want to do something, eh, whatever, maybe have sex, okay, right, that's kind of it. I wouldn't wish that upon my, 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 not my worst enemy, but you know, someone who's not my best friend. It's Not a lot of folks, that's not, that's not okay for them. So I think everybody has the right to have the relationship that they want. What I realize now is that I was married for almost three decades. I brought up a couple kids. I did the family thing. I did that societal norm. But guess what? I realized here, I'm not the marrying kind. I'm just not. I'm the, I've separated sex and love, I love people, I can love humanity in the way of that, you know, nobody asked to be born, here we are, we have this human condition, I can love people for that. And then intimacy means any conversation I'm having with, with someone at a coffee shop or on Zoom where we're just people and we're, and, we're, and we're sharing a moment, that's intimacy. Whether I have it in a relationship that lasts X amount or I have it ad hoc. It does not fucking matter to me, nobody told me that. nobody told me that I could do that. You know it's always about oh, it's got to be forever da, da, da and then there's things like polyamory and stuff like that. That's look at these creative ways of folks getting their needs met. I don't judge these are all good things. these are fantastic things, so do it, do what you need to. you know, I guess that's my my motto. Is there anything else that I have to say? um the kinship of common suffering is this connection that I like to make with people, and it's on a human level. If I have friends now that are of the opposite gender, it's going to be platonic. Because I'm not going to, you know, it's not like it's off the table forever, but the, but the deal is this. For me, this is just for me, sex will fuck it up, whatever friendship or whatever it is that I have. Now, I know that in order to get through the amount of work that I need to do for that to not happen, guess what, let me just rub one out, I'm not, I'm not willing to do that work. It's a pain in the ass. And I and again, I still want to put the person in my pocket, and that's just not fair. So, I'm Mike. I'm, I'm pleased to be here. And hopefully, uh, um, you know, this was helpful for you. It was very helpful for me. And Marcia, thank you so much, my dear friend, for inviting me to do this. I got a lot out of it. Cheers. Oh,
0: my God, Mike. And <laughs> that was so so interesting like I feel like I could have heard you talk for another hour and been like oh my god um, I feel like your thoughts on intimacy is really beautiful and your ideas about um first of all your openness and honesty and like willingness to just be here with us and speak what's on your mind like it really I don't know it really changes the perception that sex is like not something to be nervous about it's something to be intimate about you know something to be intentional I love the tone that you use when you speak you know um I can't wait to hear commentary and stuff but I'm gonna pass it to Zoe um quickly and then let them talk and then we'll get back to shares of what we all what did we all learn from this thank you so much for coming and speaking to us i really need you to come to other meetings so i could be there just listen to you talk (laughs) all right zoe come on in let us know what you think and what your uh, ideas and so far
2: hey family i'm zoe and i'm an alcoholic um thank you for making this meeting possible everyone that's doing service and uh mike how am i gonna follow that you bastard um my sobriety date is the 23rd of June 2015 and ironically that was the last time I had sex um my recovery's been quite anorexic in that department and um and my story is probably the reason why um you know that I'm kind of the other end of the scale that the thought of a continuous relationship uh frightens a life out of me and um you know, maybe it won't always be like that, but today it is, and I'm okay with that. Um, you know, I came into AA, I was broke. Um, I had burnt all my bridges. Um, I couldn't be trusted, I couldn't trust myself. And um the assets I had was a dirty bag of washing, two breasts and a vagina. And um, you know, I um I came into to Alcoholics Anonymous. And I was looking around the room for the married people, the creepy guy, the creepy woman, you know. And and, um, I suppose I learned in my early recovery that I'm like a homing pigeon to the most fucked up people in the room. I am. You know what I mean? i walk in the room and I will pick the one that's either going to be violent, it's going to be fucking off the the scales, you know, and... And the mad thing was, was that when I learned that, it was quite helpful for me because it meant if I fancy you, then I need to fucking leave you alone. You know, that that was what was going on in in early recovery. Um, But, you know, going back to uh, I suppose I start at the beginning was my mum tells me this story of um, she said it in the 70s, the day I was born, There was a massive snowstorm in the UK and I lived up north in Northumberland. I hadn't lived there long because I'd just been born, obviously. But anyway, (laughs) um, and my father couldn't get in to pick us up. So we're in hospital for like three or four days or whatever. And she gets home and she finds glass in her bed from some woman that my dad had been screwing. So this was kind of although I was far too young to understand that, but, you know, she's told me that story so many times. Whether it's true or not, I'll never know. But, um, you know, my first sort of, um, I don't know, like uh, view on man, woman, fucking relationships, all that stuff, which the inventory tells me to look at painfully, um, It, I had those two to look at. He's sleeping around she's fucking disappearing off getting drunk seemingly couldn't give a shit and then she leaves him when I'm five and a half and takes me with her so I've learned you know in my in my childhood time that people don't really get on and when things go bad run away I was like oh okay I got that got that got that cool 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 um so fast forward you know like I got engaged in my in my life so far. I've been engaged five times, right? Never quite got to the marriage. Thankfully, I'd say. Um, and sorry to any married people in the room, but that's just my um, my view. Uh, I got engaged to the first person, and we had this lovely little flat, and we had all like matching kitchenware. The place was it was we had like a sound system, you know, like back in the day, you know, you don't get, we had this fucking huge sound system, separates you used to call them and these big speakers and a fucking TV that you could literally put a great Dane in it. It was so fucking big. And, um, and my partner at the time was so proud of all this stuff, you know, and it was so funny because how I met him is I used to stalk him. But I didn't know how to talk to people really, so I used to stalk him. And by the time we actually started talking, I knew where he worked, what time he went on break. He didn't even have a clue who I was at the time. He worked in the ironmongers across the road from the pub, and I used to be the cleaner there, doing the bedrooms and that. And I'd look out the window, you know, oh there he is, and I'd feel all like, um, like totally in love with this guy totally in love with him like i couldn't think about anything else and uh it it was like overwhelming you know that kind of the phenomenon of craving i had it i had it bad you know i couldn't get it out of my head i knew he went walked home for lunchtime and then he came back at two and i knew he finished at five and i could watch him from round the corner you know like just putting away all the wheelbarrows and that from this shop where he used to work. It was a garden centre type place. And I'd watch him. Well, blow me, I'm not even making this up right. The first drunk I ever had, I had a bottle of whiskey. I was like 15 or something. And, um, (laughs) And I'm walking around on my own, fucking sliding down the walls and fucking in a right old state. Who do I bump into? I bump into him and I was mortified and he's got me by the back of the coat and he's taking me home and I'm puking and pissing myself. Well, of course, all this time that I've been following this guy around that I'm besotted with and now I've gone and behaved like that in front of him. Well, blow me, you know, for months afterwards, I would avoid where he used to walk at lunchtime and i would avoid the shop that he worked you know like all this secret behaviour where i've got to hide out the way and oh my god you know it's a no doubt at all that i'm wired up a bit funny uh definitely alcoholic and um i definitely crave love to be touched um, you know, it was off the fucking scale, absolutely off the scale. Anyway, fast forward, I, we we somehow got together. We were into the club scene together, so we go like dancing all night, take drugs, and um, that's sort of how we how we got together, really. And and then I used to get his drugs for him and, and all that. And um, you know, it's interesting when you've got a few drugs, all that, you, you end up making friends that perhaps you wouldn't have. Um, so, yeah, we used to go off dancing. Eventually we got together um, and not long after we got engaged and it was me that pushed for it. And I've learned this in my inventory process. It was me that pushed, pushed for the engagement because I desperately need that connection. I need you to commit to me so I can feel whole. You know, I I I need that. And as um, soon as the fucking ring goes on, I'm like, holy shit how can I get out of this you know it's not what I signed up for I just wanted to know he was in for the real deal you know what I mean and uh so the ring went on and uh we come we come back from clubbing one night I mean there's a huge story around it all but I ain't got time here uh we come back from clubbing one night and and I was you know knackered went off to bed and then I woke up in the night thinking where is he and um and by this time I'd really gone off him, you know, like I didn't even like the way he breathed, you know, and the way he held his knife and fork, the way he put his shoes by the door so neat, used to piss me off, you know, like, oh my God, what what a slabber, you know, and um I've caught him wanking over the we didn't have internet then, but I caught him wanking over the underwear section of the catalogue, right? And he was wearing one of my dresses. Well, that fucking freaked me out no end. So so I went to the bedroom. I get my underwear drawer and I start beating him. I was enraged beating him round the head with this underwear drawer. And that was me. I'm off. I'm off. You're a fucking weirdo. I'm off. Well, little did I know, you know, wherever I go, I take myself with me. And I am not even lying. That story repeated itself, right? Not just five, well, five times, you know, the same fucking thing. Get engaged, make a commitment, freak out, and I'm loading up my van and I'm disappearing off, you know. Um, but how it all kind of started with, with this thing was like when I when I was young, this um a friend of my mum's used to come back to the house after the pub with her, and I think he was wanted to sleep with her, but she used to be so drunk and off her face most of the time. He ended up in bed with me. Now, in those moments, it's like when I look back, the fucking guy was a pedophile, but I fell in love with this guy. And um, and the weirdest thing was, was that I started sort of following him round. You know, so this behavior is is been going on the whole time. You know, I started following him round, and then he gave me a key to his house. He told me that we would um. We could go public when I was 16, and I was like, "Oh, this is brilliant," you know. And um, and and strangely, he lived in the same fucking flat that me and my first real partner rented. So I had all this secret back of the head reptilian stuff going on, you know, while I'm trying to navigate the, the world or or the, the the where I lived and and um, you know, time and time again the engagements, the first one I think lasted about four years, and then the second one was about three years, and then the third one was about two years, and then, you know, to cut a long story sideways, the last one was about, I don't know, it was a couple of months, you know, and as that time went on, and as I got sicker in my disease, whether it be with people, whether it be with the drinking I was doing or the drugging I was doing or who I was hanging around with, bearing in mind my favorite place to be was the most run down shithole of a cider bar you could find. And I'd hang out with all the old bubble nose men, you know, right in my early twenties. They love me, you know what I mean? And, um, and I liked the attention, you know, I liked the attention and it got me into a lot, a lot of trouble. Um, but yeah, the, the, the last one, um, <laughs> I did that thing again where we got engaged, everything was seemingly going well. And um, he, uh, <laughs> one night I've been awake so many days on, on drugs and I've been doing it, I thought, secretly. So this particular night I wasn't up for, for sex, you know, and I discovered I, I really only want to have sex when I'm on drugs, because otherwise I just want to be left alone. Anyway, this particular night, he says to me, if you won't have sex with me, I'll go and have it somewhere else. You know, and it reminded me really of where how I grew up with my mum. She had so many boyfriends, like when I was a kid. My dad was off cheating with someone else. And then, you know, and what I'm getting at is I had like a belief system, a broken belief system about what women are, what men are all men cheating bastards can't be trusted all women slags all of them you know and because i was living in that in that environment and in that's what i was doing you know um but yeah this this guy i i I said to you i said to him i'm i'm leaving and he went no you fucking not so i go (laughs) I go run out the flat, get in the car, and he smashes the fucking windscreen of my car, and I'm trying to drive away, and he's got his fingers, wrapped you know, that's what it got like. I mean, who the hell wants to be in a relationship like that? You know, it was like just every relationship I got into ended up with this fucking carnage, you know. And what my mum taught me when I was five and a half, right, stayed with me. So when the shit hits a fan, I load up the car with all my animals, my houseplants and some dirty washing, and I fuck off. Not knowing that I repeat the same shit over and over and over again. Towards the end, it got so bad that I I remember going out. uh, We went to this club and I remember walking home and I, I could sense like there was someone behind me. I could sense, you know, you just get feeling, don't you? I looked round. There's this kiddie. I don't know how old he was, but he, he he was must have been, I don't know, late old oldish older teenager, you know. And I was so mortal drunk, and I went went home, and I went in the house, and I just felt it was a bit weird. And then he walked in, and I don't know what happened that night, but he was gone in the morning. But it's stuck stuck with me. You know, those things used to happen over and over and over again, and I would think you know, why does this sort of keep happening? The amount of times I've been in bed in my own house and someone's come in and got into bed with me, I didn't know how to, um, you know, I didn't have a sense of self. By this time, I was very good at disassociating from my body, so I would just go through with whatever I got quite good at it, you know. I could jump up and down for fucking hours, you know what I mean? It was like no, no bother to me. But just get on with it. Let's get the job done, so I can get back to being me or whatever. And um, and it, and this is the weirdest thing was, was that um. You know how my sex life started, was how it ended, in in a way, you know, from early. And at the end of my um, drinking and jogging, but like I said, the last time I had sex was the 23rd of June 2015. And that week running up to that, I probably slept with 10 different people. You know, I fuck it. one was in and then one was out. I mean, you know, I take my hat off to people who charge for it because I was the sort of person who would give it away and I'd come and tidy your house you know that level of low self esteem that it ripped my fucking head off it did you know like oh i could be sat here a millionaire you know um but but what's happened like in in recovery is it sort of scares me a bit you know the thought of sex and stuff i i read a um i read a thing once that um you know every time a man ejaculates into my vagina that a part of them is is like going to be with me forever and it made me think fucking hell you you know I wanted to cut my waist off you know what I mean like what the fuck is that and um but what it's done is it's a bit of a blessing because it's helped me to um you know the inventory talks about what is my sound ideal and until I actually know what that is I'm not even going to go there And for me, the way life was going, um, it's a beautiful thing to say actually no, you know. Um, Yeah, I I mean, I just become like a bloody robot, you know, like a robot. I remember once (laughs) I I used to do this thing where I used to go in like in my van. And I'd go and park in some fucking dodgy lay-by or a corner of a field or something in the middle of the night, high, you know, and I'd try somewhere where I could get a phone signal and I'd be in there wanking, watching porn, you know, like, and and I didn't realise once that, um, of course, I had my phone on onto the car thing and uh, it ran my battery down. I, I mean, I was there so long, I nearly drew blood, I swear to God, you know, and... And I had to phone up my stepdad because I couldn't start the car, right? And he's like, why are you parked in the, in the middle of a field? I said, well, when it was dark, it wasn't a field. I thought it was a road. You know, like you could quite often find me sort of parked around in some fucking lay-by sites or whatever. Um, you know, I, always, I was always quite interested in my drinking days to so go out dogging. I don't know if you've heard of that. But you know, I quite like that kind of going out in the woods and just having a, having a bonk with a load of random people. You know, that kind of that interested me quite a lot. You know, and um, it really did. But I I got into some like quite seedy sort of dark porn watching and um and I don't do it anymore. You know, I don't I don't I don't even I don't touch myself anymore. And I and I should, you know, and I really should because it's a natural thing to do. But, you know, for me at the moment, it does bring up quite a lot of shame and quite a lot of, um, yeah, just shame, really, about about my, um, my behaviour. And, um, uh, it, <laughs> yeah, yeah, it really does. But the weirdest thing was, like, before I shared, was like, what am I going to talk about in recovery? with regards to sex you know and the only message I have is what is my sane and sound ideal you know what what is that you know I still don't know but the the blessing is now I've been sober a while it isn't what it was by a long stretch um you know the people that I got engaged to they were violent narcissistic people except the first one um he was a bit soft really you know he was a bit soft for me but there was um one thing going on in in the background for about 22 years and it was like yeah that's my timer um there was this guy called andrew and um i met him when i was about 15 and he he was my dealer and um I used to put all this like sexy lingerie on. He was in his twenties and I'd go around there and, uh, we'd have sex and he'd be like bagging up all the, the drugs and that. And, uh, I thought he was the most interesting, exciting person. You know, that phenomenon of craving, you know, couldn't get enough of him. And over the years, um, whether it be a few months, a few years, or whatever, we would hook up. You know, we would hook up and we'd have a really like banging night, you know, forgive the pun. Um, you know, we watch the sun come up on the bonnet of a car on, t- on some hill, you know, and this went on 22 years. And the last time I saw him, we had spent the night together and, and I was due to go into rehab probably a week or two after. And um, of course, you know, people's lives change. And by this time, he'd had a mortgage, a couple of kids, a missus, poor suffering missus, you know. Um, And I remember that day and it was like an awakening. I remember that night, well, the morning when he left and I looked at him and I had that feeling. I just knew that I wasn't going to do it again like, something had shifted in me, you know, I I just, I wasn't going to do that again to put myself in that situation where I watch yet another man go back to his wife or family or back to his life after, after doing that, you know, I, I fucking deserve more than that, you know, and it was quite, It spooked me a bit really, because up until that moment, for 36 years of all this carry-on, I never thought of myself as worthy of better than that. Because my experience has been either being the mistress, I was a very good mistress and very good at keeping secrets, or being in relationships where at some point I'm gonna have to load the van and bugger off. And I think that was the start of my recovery, you know. Um, yeah, the same sound sex ideal, you know, what is it? I used to look at married people with children and I'd think, oh, my God, they're so, so sad, so so sad, you know, poor, you know, should be out here having a party, you know, having a laugh. And, um, you know, the truth was I couldn't do it. Drunk or sober, I couldn't do it. Um, But I'm open to the idea. You know, I'm open to the idea now that it's possible for this alcoholic to have a stable, consistent, loving, kind, considerate relationship. Um, And I won't tolerate anything other than that. So that's probably why I'm still single. (laughs) Um, But, you know, thank you for letting me be of service. And um, I was very anxious about, I'm always anxious about sharing at meetings. You know, does it ever go away, Mike? I don't fucking know. I've got sweaty palms, you know. um, But it is good to be of service. And I never know what I'm going to say before I share And I know that in an hour's time, I'm going to do the one I should have just done better, you know, but that's life, eh? So I'll leave it there. Thank you, Marsha and everyone that's um, making this happen. And over to you.